Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you've joined us this morning as we try to find some answers to questions that our viewers have given us over the past few weeks. Uh, we may have some first-time viewers here that don't understand what we're doing. A little different religious TV program. We don't just lecture you. We try to answer questions. Uh, our opening said we try to help you understand the Bible, and that's what we're about is uh, letting you ask questions. We try to find you an answer in the Bible or explain something that's kind of hard to understand in the Bible, and hopefully it a little bit better and uh, want to study the Bible yourself. So that's what we're here to do. Uh, Toby Levering's here to help me answer questions. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. We've got a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You use those anytime to get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about and you direct this program. Well, we start with one question for our viewing audience. See if you know a little bit of Bible. Uh, this one's about Joshua and the people of Israel crossing the Jordan. Joshua did something pretty important when they crossed the Jordan. What was that? And we'll uh, give you the answer to that at the end of the program and see if you and your family knew that one. All right, Toby drew the first one, so yep. let's get this show rolling. Okay. Have you ever asked the question, does the Bible say anything about premarital sex being wrong? Well, yes, the Bible does say uh, that premarital sex is wrong, and uh, obviously that's very countercultural in the world we live in today, but it's also been countercultural for most of the of the time of human beings. Uh, God has always had one specific design for uh, sexual relations between a man and a woman, and that's to be in the covenant of marriage. That's what he designed uh, sexual relations for, and it was designed to be the, the glue that held the family together and held the husband and wife together in that most holy covenant. Uh, however, human beings have misused and abused it, uh, even characters in the Bible. Uh, but God's always been very clear on the matter. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Uh, Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, inspired by the Spirit, says this, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And that scripture, of course, is, seems... Uh, very uh, unpolitically correct. Uh, you'll hear today that you know we're sexual beings and and uh, we have the right to express ourselves sexually in any form or fashion that we makes us happy. Well, God uh, knows better than we do, and He understands that when we misuse and abuse the gift of sex, uh, that it brings a lot of problems, and indeed it does. And so uh, God, as always, knows what's best for us, and He's not trying to restrict us or keep us from... He's actually trying to, to bless our lives and make them better. Uh, <clears throat> the word there for sexual immorality is a general term, pornea, and it includes a number of things like fornication, sex, perform, uh, sex between unmarried people, sexual 
uh, adultery, uh, prostitution, homosexuality, uh, lots of different sexual sins there, but all of them are improper. Sexual immorality in any form is not what God desires. Let's look at Ephesians 5 verse 3 together. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Now let me say just a second or make a, a point to say that God is not against sex. Uh, he designed it. It's designed to be a good thing. Uh, what he is against is sexual immorality, and we need to understand the difference. He created it to be enjoyed, and it will be a blessing if you enjoyed it in the way he intended. I hope that helps. Thank you, Toby. I listened to that answer very carefully because a few days ago we got a question from a viewer that said, why are you guys so controlling about sex? <laughs> <laughs> and so I listened there to see if you tried to control people about sex, and I think all you did was read the Bible. Yeah. So <laughs> that, Sometimes that, it's that simple. <laughs> we haven't got to that uh, viewer's question yet, but when we do, that'll be the answer. Yep. We don't try to control anything. We just tell you what the Bible says, and that's the best way to live life. That's the goal. What that's the right. Bible says. That's right. All right, question next one is about a sealed book. What is the sealed book in Isaiah 29, 11, and 12? Well, we love sealed books. Sounds like a good uh, novel topic, perhaps. So what is this sealed book? Well, I'll tell you. Isaiah 29 does mention a sealed book. You get that much right. Uh, but people go from there and make it into all sorts of things that it isn't. In fact, this chapter of Isaiah is kind of one key part of the uh, Mormon teaching that uh, Joseph Smith found the golden plates, and that was the sealed book, and it came out of the dust, and it spoke from the ground. Isaiah 29, verse 4, I think, mentions the voice from the dust. Anyhow, that's all real interesting, but it's not what Isaiah 29 says. Uh, sometimes in our answers we learn a little Bible study tip. Uh, this question in this chapter, the Bible study tip is read it. Read what the book says and it's perfectly clear what that sealed book is talking about. The If you just look at the, your chapter headings, look at that 29 and chapter 30. 29 says, Woe to David's city. Chapter 30 says, Woe to the obstinate nation. Isaiah is giving a prophecy that Israel's in trouble because they haven't been paying attention to God. Uh, so that's what this whole section is about. He's prophesying about Israel. And then he gets to verse 11, and let's look at that on the screen about the sealed book. He says, The vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men, when men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I can't read it. It's sealed. And when they give the book to someone who can't read, they say, I can't read it. Okay. Now, let's look at that just a moment. He says, this vision, this prophecy about Israel being in trouble has become to you like, look at that, like the words of a book that's sealed. He says, you're not getting this. And it's like it's a sealed book. And then he gives us a little funny story. He says, if you give a sealed book to a guy who can read, he says, I can't read it. It's sealed. If you give it to a guy that can't read, he says, I can't read it. I can't even read. Well, he's telling them, you're not getting this. 
you don't understand this vision. It's like a sealed book. And then look at the next verse. He says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Okay? That's what it's about is they don't get it. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. Their hearts aren't even close to God. So Isaiah is basically saying all this prophecy I'm giving you, it might as well be a sealed book because you're not figuring it out. Well, it's like a sealed book. It, there is no sealed book that he's talking about. So uh, that's the tip of the day there. Just read the scripture. And a lot of times you can figure out exactly what it means if you just pay attention to the words and see that uh, it's not what a lot of people take out of context and try to make it mean. So no sealed book. It's like something that people can't figure out. Our next viewer asked a rather simple question, and that is very simply, what does God look like? Well, um, you might hear, if you have young children, they might ask that. And sometimes you'll see depictions of God in different ways. Uh, probably best known as like a, kind of an old man with a long beard and white robe. Uh, uh, but in truth, obviously, we do not know what God looks like. In fact, my opinion is that uh, God doesn't look like anything. And uh, the reason I believe that is based on John chapter 4, verse 24. It's not on your screen, but uh, it simply says, God is spirit. And Jesus goes on to say, His worshipers must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is saying God is a spiritual being, not a fleshly, physical being. Now, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. It's like me asking you to smell the color nine. I mean, it just doesn't, can't even think on that level of not being able to see and picture and, and touch something uh, in the physical realm because that's all we know. But God is beyond the physical realm and the spiritual realm, and so as such, He can't be described uh, with our eyes. Um, let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 12 together. Uh, and it says simply this, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. Uh, John also would say uh, in his uh, gospel account that no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is God has made Him known. And that's John chapter 1, verse 18. So no one's ever seen him. Uh, no one knows what he looked like. And uh, I believe because he's spirit, it's because it's going to take more than seeing uh, to see God. So that's the best I can answer it. Well, all righty. <laughs> I, th I thought you'd for sure you'd tell the old joke about the little girl drawing a picture oh, of God yes, yeah. in Sunday school. <laughs> he will in a minute. Teacher, <laughs> teachers <laughs> ask her what she was drawing. She said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she said, well, nobody knows what God looks like. She said, well, they will in a minute. Because <laughs> <laughs> but we don't know what he looks like. Yep. All right, let me talk about a good way to study the Bible. And we hope that we help you understand the Bible a little bit here on Know Your Bible. But we also advocate home Bible study and uh, have some free Bible study materials that we're happy to send to you and let you study the Bible in your own home. Uh, some people do it alone. Some people get a Bible study group together and do it once a week and work through the lessons. Lots of different ways to use them, but it's an organized approach to studying the Bible, and it uh, introduces the Bible to you in a 
more understandable way maybe than just sitting down starting to read the Bible. In fact, this course starts, like you can see there, the first two lessons are the Old Testament, the New Testament. That helps you understand the difference between those. They are different. And in fact, a lot of our answers on Know Your Bible start there as well. This is from the Old Testament and this is from the New Testament and all that. Well, that's the first thing you learn in this course. So good, good way to learn some things about the Bible. Absolutely free of charge. You, you do it at your own pace. Uh, go as fast or as slow as you want, and we won't ever bother you. If it's something you don't find helpful, you, you don't have to carry on, and we won't bother you in any way. So, good way to study the Bible. Been proven over the years. Lots and lots of folks have uh, told us how much they learned from it. So, give us a try. Uh, phone number, website on the screen. Uh, just let us know you want it. We'll send you that first lesson. You can see if you like it. All right, question from a viewer. Should you be baptized in the name of Jesus? Well, my answer to that is yes, you should be baptized in the name of Jesus. Uh, if they would have said, should you be baptized only in the name of Jesus? I said, well, no, that's not in the Bible. Uh, now, I realize some people make a big deal out of this. There are some whole religious groups uh, that have split off from another religious group about what you say when you baptize someone. Uh, Jesus-only baptism or baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is the big discussion. I understand some people have been taught all their life that this is very important and that's the only way to be baptized. Let's think about this a little bit. We're going to look at two verses together, and then I'm going to ask you a question. All right, let's look at the first one. It's from Acts 2.38. And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Now their question was, What do we do to be saved? He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Says so right there. Let's look at another one. Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus himself said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He was telling his apostles right before he left the earth, wherever you go, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All right. One verse says, baptize in the name of Jesus. Another verse says, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's my question for you. Which one is true? Ah, the right answer is they're both true. Obviously, they're from the Scripture. Peter said one, Jesus said the other. Uh, they weren't disagreeing with each other. They were telling the truth. So what's the answer? Well, it must mean something other than a formula of words that you say when you baptize someone. Because they're both true Scriptures. It's not teaching us you've got to say these words when you baptize someone. It's saying when you baptize someone, they are being baptized in the name of, by the authority of Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're the same thing. They have the same authority, the same power. So that's what it's talking about. Uh, we understand this in everyday life. If somebody, old example, if somebody knocks on the door and says, open up in the name of the law, it means by the authority of the law. If they knock on the door and say, open up in the name of the IRS, 
by the authority of the IRS. Well, that's a scary thing when that happens, but anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, it's by the authority of. It's not a formula of what we say. So, should you be baptized in the name of Jesus? Yes, be baptized by the authority of Jesus. Baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes, that's what you're doing. Uh, the formula of words is not about it. If it was the exact formula of words we had to say, then a mute person could never baptize someone. A mute person couldn't be baptized, I guess, if they couldn't respond. Yes, yeah, so it's not about the words. It's about the authority. So hopefully that answers for you. Say whichever one expresses what you're doing, and uh, the baptism will be just fine. Okay, uh, the next question is, uh, is cremation right or wrong according to the Bible? We get this question uh, fairly regularly, I would say, on this program. Uh, people want to know about that, uh, specifically um, what to do with their uh, corpse, and is it okay to, to uh, cremate it and uh, have it reduced to ashes in a matter of seconds? And uh, does that affect the resurrection body? Will that have any effect in the afterlife? And uh, the Bible says nothing about cremation, uh, doesn't prohibit it, nor does it condone it. It does give, uh, I, I can think of a, uh, an example, one example in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 31. Um, but there it's just telling the story that it happened and it makes no directive one way or the other. So uh, what we tell people, since the Bible seems to take a neutral position, is just simply a matter of preference. God's left it uh, up to you. Uh, you should absolutely communicate your wishes, whatever they are, uh, with your family, uh, because people have strong feelings uh, one way or the other sometimes, and you want to make sure that those who are tending to your uh, last wishes uh, carry them out properly. So communicate those, uh, but as in terms of the Bible and in terms of eternity, uh, there is uh, no specific mention and uh, no specific clue that cremation or non-cremation will make any difference. Uh, let's look at a verse together where Paul is talking about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Uh, all of us who are in Christ are going to be changed, and uh, uh, that's going to be true no matter how uh, your corpse was disposed of, uh, burial, cremation, or any other way. God's going to work that all out on Resurrection Day. All righty. Got a question about the seven deadly sins. Want to know what those are? In fact, the question is, what are the seven deadly sins and where are they found? Well, I'm sure most of our viewers have heard that phrase, the seven deadly sins. Uh, this viewer has heard it and says, well, what are they and where are they? Well, they're in a number of different places, but one place they're not is in the Bible. The Bible doesn't have a list of seven deadly sins. There are a number of lists in the Bible about sins that God hates and sometimes there's seven in that list, and sometimes there's other numbers, and sometimes the lists are close to each other, and sometimes they're quite different. So it doesn't come from the Bible. But traditionally, 
church teachers and Bible scholars. And, uh, I don't know who came up with the first such list. I didn't research that for sure. But uh, there are some seven deadly sins that pretty much are agreed on. You can find different versions. But uh, I did look up one version and we'll put it on the screen for you. Here's kind of the traditional list of seven deadly sins. And wrath and greed and sloth and pride and lust envy and gluttony. So those are the seven that are pretty much agreed on by people that write about such things down through history. And I admit all of those are bad. Uh, deadly is maybe a little overstatement on some of them, but uh, that's what the traditional list is. So that's your seven deadly sins, but you can't find it in the Bible. Take just a moment and invite you to visit a church of Christ near you. The churches of Christ uh, produce this program and keep it on your air, the air for you. And we like to mention some of our supporters and friends each week. And today, let me talk about the Burlington Church of Christ. It's our partners up in the Iowa, Illinois broadcast market. If you're watching this program on the uh, broadcast from the Quad Cities from Rock Island Station, uh, this is the church that helps us up there and. Uh, takes care of the correspondence courses and a number of things for our Know Your Bible students. So, great bunch of folks there at Burlington. Uh, stop in, visit them sometime if you live in that area and tell them you appreciate them keeping this on the air. If you're looking for a church home, uh, be a great place to check out the Burlington Church of Christ. Uh, you'll find a bunch of people that uh, think and study about the Bible a lot like we do on Know Your Bible. And yeah, I know you'd be warmly welcome. So drop in there sometime. Whatever broadcast area you're in, there's probably a Church of Christ close to you. Uh, if you're looking for a church room, drop in on them. Or if you just know someone that attends the Church of Christ, tell them, hey, I heard about uh, you on that Know Your Bible program the other day. And uh, I watch that program, and thanks for keeping it on the air. So visit the Church of Christ sometime. All right, Old Testament question yes, here. Yes, question <laughs> about Jacob. Uh, they want to know, was Jacob a polygamist since he married both Leah and Rachel? Uh, well, polygamist is someone who is married <clears throat> uh, to two or more people uh, at one time. And so by that definition, uh, by any definition, Jacob certainly was a polygamist. Um, Polygamy, in fact, was a, a, a practice that was adopted by several prominent characters, heroes of faith in the Bible. Uh, Abraham, Jacob, David, Solomon uh, all had more than one wife, and I'm sure there were others as well. Um, the question is, uh, maybe that comes off of that, well, is God okay with polygamy? Well, no, God never endorsed polygamy, uh, and that's, uh, not, you know, God always set up His standard and His uh, ideal plan, and then human beings went and messed it up, uh, added to, messed it up, abused it, uh, whatever you want to say, uh, they didn't stick to what God had in mind. God's plan has always been, uh, and is still today, monogamy, and that is one man married to one woman for one lifetime. Uh, anything outside of that is not what God has in mind. Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 19, and we'll look at verses 4 through 6, where Jesus says simply this, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. You see, you note the singular there? And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, 
you'll find the Bible is a very honest book, and it's full of very honest stories about characters uh, in the Old Testament and New who deviated from God's plan, uh, not just with polygamy, but there are stories of divorce and incest and abuse and all sorts of bad stuff in there. Now, that doesn't mean that God condones it. Uh, he's simply pointing out how far human beings have strayed <coughs> from it. So, uh, yes, Jacob was a polygamist, but no, that does not uh, mean polygamy is okay. Um, so, hope that answers the question about Jacob. All righty, thank you. Got a question about uh, murderers and <coughs> repentance here. Kind of interesting one. Uh, the viewer says, if a murderer goes to jail and repents while there, is he saved or not? Um, well, I would guess this viewer may have some specific person in mind and and be wondering about the condition of that repentance or uh, whether it's really true or not. I, I guess that's what our viewer is asking. Uh, I guess my basic answer would be, yeah, if you can repent uh, in the belly of a fish and it counts, then I guess it would count in jail too. Uh, Jonah was kind of in jail and saw the light, so to speak, and repented there, and God counted that. Uh, it's not about the outward condition. It's not about where our body is. It's about the condition of our heart. And I think that's probably what our viewer is really asking, and I understand why somebody would wonder about that. I mean, I wonder about that. Uh, when you're in prison, uh, if you behave properly, if you follow the rules, if you show signs of contrition, you possibly uh, get your sentence reduced a little bit or you get better living conditions or you get paroled early. Uh, so some people do that. They, in fact, we have a lot of prisoners that take our correspondence course and study the Bible with us. Uh, how many of them are doing that sincerely because they want to learn the Bible and how many are doing it because they want their parole to come sooner? I don't know and there's no way I can know. Uh, so I know that's what our viewer may be thinking about. Is this really sincere repentance? Well, that's not our job to figure that out. We don't have to worry about it. God knows exactly what the condition of their hearts are. And uh, he'll, he'll know whether it counts or not. Uh, interesting uh, anecdote here. Jeffrey Dahmer, the famous serial killer, uh, minister of the Church of Christ, actually doing prison ministry, came in contact with him and studied the Bible with him and talked about what the Bible says and all that. Uh, and Jeffrey Dahmer repented and was baptized into Christ. Now, a lot of people, that seems fantastic. It seems unbelievable that someone who had done so many evil things, uh, could he really repent and have it count? Um, it's not our job to figure that out. God knows his heart. God knows all murderers' hearts, and he knows our hearts. Uh, so our job is to teach the gospel, and if people repent, repent and are baptized, our job is to accept that and treat them as a brother or sister in Christ. So, but understand the question and why somebody would wonder about that. All right, let's take time to answer our trivia question before we quit today. And uh, so we ask, what did Joshua do when the Israelites crossed the Jordan? Well, he built a monument, had the people of Israel carry some stones out of the river, 
piled 12 of them up and said, this is a monument and it'll be there. And when your kids walk past and say, what's that about? What do these stones mean? Uh, you tell them about how God got us out of Egypt and how that works. So he built a monument and it's a good idea to build some monuments in our life and remind us of God. We're glad you've been with us today. We hope you come back next week for more of your questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.